Hello, witches. This is Kara Kovacs, and this is Business Witch. As a third generation witch, at least, and a business and life coach for mission driven entrepreneurs and leaders, I teach you how to make money and magic as liberatory practices. Because when we know, seek, and embrace our full potential, we create a better world for everyone. Here you'll find tools, conversations, spells, and inspiration that take you from waiting to creating so you can build the business and life you're oh so worthy and capable of having. Let's go. Hello, witches. We're back with another very special guest. And actually, I'm realizing as I say this, this is the first guest we've ever had that I don't know their entire birth chart as we enter into the show. <laughs> this has never happened to us before, but it is my pleasure to introduce you to Lisa Carmen Wang, author of the up and coming book, The Bad Bitch Business Bible, and founder of The Bad Bitch Empire, host of The Bad Bitch Empire podcast, also former Ford time award-winning gymnast, I think also Olympian, helping women raise money and capital for the kinds of businesses that we need to change the world. Tell the people a little bit more, any fill in the blanks, Lisa, and also let us know your sign because I'm dying. To know. <laughs> uh, so how about we do this and then people can guess my sign. Maybe you can guess my sign after. Okay. I'm going to just, I'm just going to go. Okay. Yeah. So hi everyone. Hello. Thank you, Kara, for having me on the business, Witch podcast, this is so awesome. My background is I am a former four-time USA national champion gymnast. I was the consummate good girl. And I talk about good girl being, I got the straight A's. I went to the Ivy League. I got into my dream school, Yale University. I won all these gold medals in gymnastics. I was 08 Olympic alternate. I got the fancy job on Wall Street. You know, I started on a hedge fund. And very soon, early on into my career, I started noticing that being a good girl Following the rules, obeying the status quo, obeying authority was not serving me in my career, especially in a male-dominated career path where I was coming in, I had everything I'd gotten up to that point was really about doing the right thing, working really, really hard, proving myself, being perfect. And I saw, especially in Wall Street, when I first started, there are all these mediocre men who were surpassing me faster because they went to the same frat as my boss. They knew how to talk at happy hour. And I left Wall Street because I felt like I had more to create if I had the creative freedom to do so. So I became an entrepreneur. And when I started raising money, I found the same thing happened in Silicon Valley as a female entrepreneur raising money and noticing that especially all the small paper cuts that women experience, that I experienced being overlooked, undervalued, assumed as inferior. And I realized that these were the things that were really grating at me. And I didn't have anyone to talk about it with at that point. I didn't have any female entrepreneur friends. And so I built a company called SheWorks. And SheWorks was pre-Me Too when we launched it. And it was really one of the early female entrepreneurial groups that were specifically focused on helping women get access to venture capital funding. And to this day, women only receive 2% of all venture capital funding. Women of color receive only 0.2% of all venture capital funding. And 
I wanted to help change that. I wanted to help close the funding gap. And so we did events, we did membership, we did summits and overall helped facilitate about $50 million in funding for female entrepreneurs. But that is not even, that's like a smidge of work. And that company was acquired in 2019. And I started noticing that, you know, that was one of the dreams to have an exit in my startup, but I started coaching female entrepreneurs and I realized it didn't matter how much a woman achieved on the outside. Um, it didn't matter if she raised funding or if she was trying to raise funding. At the end of the day, it didn't matter how many negotiation tactics I taught women. If they didn't feel like they were enough, if they didn't feel like they were worthy and deserving of the money and the funding, they would never get it. And so I, I really started diving into the psychology of limiting beliefs and what it is that was really holding women back. And, and I saw it reflected in me, the, the same insecurities, the same limiting beliefs, which I now call good girl brainwashing. And good girl brainwashing is all of the societal and media messages that have trained women to stay polite and obedient and nice and pleasant and pleasing. And it tells us that we have to stay small and subordinate and diminish ourselves for the sake of other people's dreams and their comfort and not to be too big, not to be too bold, not to be ourselves authentically, because that is a threat to the patriarchy if women actually own their power. And I started seeing how, wow, everything I've done up to that point was really controlled by this belief that I had to be a good, obedient girl in order to succeed. And that's the narrative that we've been taught. And the birth of my book, The Bad Bitch Business Bible, which I, I pitched to my agent editor back in like the end of 2020, three years ago. And I remember it, it came from the realization that for the first time in my life, I allowed myself to experience rage and anger you know up to this point i i saw we all know the the statistics the pay gap the wealth gap the funding gap and i i allowed myself to sit in the indignance and the rage and the anger like how could this be this is so unnatural that women are controlling 1% of all institutional capital that we're receiving 2% of all funding and yet we are 50% of the population and naturally more powerful, the more powerful species or gender because we birth life. And that anger was alchemized into passion and purpose, which is what I used to birth the Bad Bitch Business Bible, which is a book. It's the 10 commandments on breaking free of good girl brainwashing, taking charge of your body, your boundaries, and your bank account. And that's my definition of a bad bitch, which is a woman who unapologetically takes charge of her body, her boundaries, and her bank account. And it is with that that I then launched the Bad Bitch Empire podcast. And I then launched the Bad Bitch Empire Fund. And you can go on badbitchempire.com and see all the things that have been done, all these events around the country that we've done, dozens of events teaching women how to invest, how to build wealth, how to take control of their bank accounts. Because at the end of the day, if we want to control the decisions, if we want to change the world and create bigger impact, a collaborative, diverse world that we as women want to see, we need to shift the power into our hands. And to do that, we need the money and the wealth. And it is no mistake that the richest, wealthiest, most powerful men in the world 
especially in our capitalist society, all of those men are investors. They invest in private equity. They invest in real estate. They invest in hedge funds and the stock market. They invest. And that is where the mission of what Bad Bitch Empire is, which is helping, not helping, uplifting and giving women a million bad bitches the tools to invest in the next billion dollar businesses that are led by women that are being built now. Yes, I love that. I think everybody listening is like getting on the pre-order list right now while they're hearing you talk. Like you can really feel how seeped in the mission you are. And that to me is the cornerstone of what makes any entrepreneurial enterprise or idea or business really breathe and bring life to people and captivate them and call them in. And on this talk, we had a very fun meet cute where we were like, let's just chat if we like want to do a podcast exchange. And then an hour and a half later, we were still chatting. And I was thinking about the joke that you had told me that they say about how VCs invest and how it's like based on just liking the person. And so how when you are in this sort of like club, right, where you control the access to everything and you're just investing because like someone was in the same frat as you or because they have an idea that you get behind because you have a commonality that has like nothing to do with the viability of the product. And now you come in and we're having this conversation about like, this is really not only mission-driven, in a way that I think everybody listening can get behind, but mission-driven in a way that is so fundamentally necessary. And I love that you corrected yourself from helping to empowering. And what I'd love to invite our audience to sort of open their minds to and sort of pick your brain about is this idea of why it's important for women in particular or gender non-conforming people to think about investing as a way to make money in a way where they might previously have thought, that's not for me, I'm just gonna put it in a CD or a 401k or like a high yield savings account, like that's too risky, I'm incapable of figuring that out. Like, why is it important for women to invest? So the number one thing, first and foremost, is if you are keeping your money in a savings account, you are losing money every single day because the inflation rate is greater than the savings rate. And so by keeping it in your savings account, you have the illusion of safety, but you are actually losing money because your dollar has a decreasing level of power every single day. The second thing is right now, women control less than 2% of all $107 trillion of institutional capital. There is no mistake, there's no error as to why the wealthiest, most powerful, power-hungry men are the ones who are the investors because they've realized that the way to build exponential wealth is to invest in other high-growth assets. A savings account is not a high growth asset. 4% is less than the stock market. The stock market is, you know, on average 7%. And that's that's good to do for your basics, but you need to do a lot more if you actually want to make an impact. So let's let's zoom out again as to like the big why. We all know we live in a patriarchal system where men control the decisions, men control the healthcare system, men control the economic system. And so if we dive into the healthcare system, 
women are about 80% of our healthcare workers, but less than 5% of healthcare leaders. And the leaders are the one who, who control the decisions. And that is why we have a system that, a healthcare system that treats women's bodies like little men. That's why so many of women's symptoms go undiagnosed, mistreated. They don't understand how to treat women, right? And that's because women aren't making the decisions. We don't have, we're not the leaders. Economic system. Investing in the studies on their, that center their bodies and experiences. Exactly. I'll give a great anecdote of this. I have a friend who she was building a women's healthcare startup and she could not for the life of her raise money even though it was a very clear issue for women. And she realized it was because she's 94% of the investors are men in venture capital. And she was like, the men didn't get it. So she smartly, she ended up pivoting to creating a anti-balding company, a product for anti-balding. And guess what? All the investors were like, I get it. This needs to be funded. And that is exactly a reflection of the fact that the people who invest define the products and the services that get built and get funding in our environment. So it's no wonder that, for example, menopause has zero funding, not zero, but you know, it's, it's for the fact that 50% of our population experience menopause at a certain age. And there's men have said, oh, that's not a, that's not a thing. There's no symptoms. And women are suffering as a result of it. Now, if you actually had women who were writing checks, when you write the checks, you, you make the decisions, right? If you're complaining right now about the economic system not serving you, well, what can you do about it? If we're telling everyone that it's important to vote for the president or your local official, what you can do outside of those elections, and it's just as, if not more important, is every day you can vote with your dollar. What you invest in, what you purchase, actually has a significant difference. And not only that, you know, now you know the big why, because when you invest your money into businesses, female-led, diverse-led businesses that actually align with your values, you actually can make a massive impact because those companies that are creating the products and services that you want drive an economy that is defined by the community, not just by the men at the top. But secondly, you can make a massive return on investment. Again, this is how the richest men get rich. They invest in assets, they get their buddies to come in, and then they know that it's a team sport. That if Joe is the only one who invests in Bob's company, Bob's company is not going to make it. But Joe knows if Bob has a great idea, Joe's going to call Jim, and Jim's going to call Tom, and Tom's going to call Rob, and Rob's going to call... Bob, <laughs> whatever. And, and they're like, okay, yo, yo guys, let's all get in this deal. And then guess what? The startup like skyrockets. And, and they so all have tons of money and, and they all have tons of money. Exactly. Oh, and that's how like every dude bro made a shit ton of money off of crypto. Cause they were all talking about it at the beginning. And none of us were like in that conversation. Well, also because the language of crypto too, it's like, the, the reason why Wall Street also was like confused about crypto is like, remember, money has no value unless we decide it has value and we exchange it for goods and services and things that we need, right? Yeah. It's a theoretical it, concept we've all agreed right. we believe in. Right. And so there's the, you should read this whole evolution of money. But, you know, like in the beginning, people were bartering. They're like three cows for 10 chickens. Yeah. You know, and like these these bars of gold for five dozen eggs. So 
it's like, it's not that the piece of paper has any value. It's not that crypto has any fundamental value. And that is why women didn't get it because the bros decided to come up with their own language. Like, so real conversation that I was overhearing from these crypto bros are like, yo, dude, let's, did you get the squiggles? Did you get the pudgy penguins? The pudgy penguins are worth like, you know, 10 ETH right now. And you're, and girls are listening and we're like, what the f- what are you talking about? I don't understand how a pudgy penguin, a squiggle, a bored ape has millions of dollars in value. I don't get it. And it's because they all decided, this is literally, they decided that it had value. They pumped the price up and now they all get rich. And so it's it's a psychology thing. When women put their money towards something, it's usually to make the world a better place, right? There's there's no mistake why NGOs, like when there's disasters, the first thing they do is invest in women to with microloans because they know women want to take care of the children in the community and they reinvest in the community. And so imagine now as women, we all did the same thing, but instead we all decided, you know, this this female health tech company really needs to exist. Or, you know, this money needs to go towards creating sustainable fashion companies. This needs to go towards creating like anything mission-driven, impact-driven. This needs to go towards solving the world hunger crisis, for God's sake, you know? And that can happen if we actually pool our money. And what this shows is like, when you pool your money, you can create impact and massive wealth for yourself, for other women, and for the founder. And that's what happened when, you know, you if you had put $20,000 in Uber, it would be worth millions today in that first round. Even now, if you had put, you know, $10,000 in Bumble, if Bumble had, if you had known the Bumble founder, that would be worth millions today. If you had put it in Rent the Runway, in Stitch Fix and all these things, it would be worth millions just putting a few thousand in. And so that's the return on investment that you can have as a woman if you learn how to invest in startups, which is the term is becoming an angel investor. Mm, I love that. And I think two things I'm thinking when you're saying this is the first is how underpaid and undervalued the most important tasks that women have historically done for society, which is like caretaking and teaching and like being social workers, like that these fields and that these arenas of society of like care and space holding and emotional care and like cleaning and wound, like nursing, like all of these things, we've been socially conditioned to believe that it, the baseline expectation is for women to do those roles without compensation, which I think contributes to the culture of like the idea of putting $10,000 into something that you may or may not see a return on investment for for several years feels so terrifying because we've been expected to give of our labor for a nominal or no reciprocity, no payment whatsoever. And it, it's wild to me too how a, a really good caliber or quality guy is like somebody who doesn't complain about also participating in house labor. It's like, oh my God, he like never complains about doing the dishes. Like I've said that about my partner. Like he always does the dishes after I cook. Like I've never said that about my mom, you know, doing that my entire childhood. 
And so we live in this culture where we've conditioned women to believe that to actually receive recognition for these really fundamental world changing, yes, sometimes small, but also like so necessary jobs, we've never seen the value in them. So to shift that culturally, that's really where when you were talking about the coaching on feeling worthy of having the money and feeling like belief that you can be capable of learning those kinds of things really comes in. And I'd love to hear you speak to that. But the second thing I just want to say is when you were talking about the squiggles and the penguin, I'm like, they like made up this language and then bros want to be like, astrology isn't real. Astrology is an actual system that has been around for thousands of fucking years that is basically based on the geometry of the sky and it is more real than the penguins. <laughs> what are you going to say? <laughs> also, are you a Capricorn? <laughs> No, I'm not. I'm an air sign. Okay. Libra? Yes. On the Virgo cusp. I bet you that there are Capricorn placements Are there in there. Are there Capricorn placements mm -hmm. in there? Like in all my rising signs and whatnot? I bet you you have Saturn in Cap. I wouldn't be surprised. I bet you you have I, Neptune in Cap. I definitely, okay, I'm Ascendant Virgo, Sun sign Libra, Moon sign Pisces. Birth chart says... Okay. Impression of me ascendant in Virgo, my identity Libra, my emotions are Pisces, my thinking in Libra. That's why I have pros and cons, pros and cons, fairness, mm -hmm. my joy in Leo, my actions in Aries, growth and expansion in Gemini, discipline and boundaries, Sagittarius, innovation, Sagittarius. Uh, okay. So you're Saturn and Sag. Okay. Are you what does that mean? co-star? <laughs> no, I actually downloaded this app called moon X. Cause I wanted to sync my energy to the moon. And oh, I love that. At any time. What, wait, what is, what is the thing in, what did you say in Sagittarius? What is Saturn? So when you're saying your drive is, I was thinking it was in cap, but it's in Saturn. Anyway, okay. it does say intuition and dreams in Capricorn. That's the only That's one. That's Neptune, I Neptune and cap. Yeah. Life purpose in Pisces and transformation and change Pluto and Scorpio. That's probably your North node and your, well, also your moon. Anyway, <laughs> okay. Now that now that everyone knows everything about my yes. birth chart, and also like the people who listen to this podcast are very astrologically inclined. Like people in my community, we're all little astro nerds. But I'd love to speak a little bit more to that idea of empowering women to like. How do I say this? This is going to sound condescending, but it's not that hard to understand. Like we only think it's hard to understand because we've been conditioned to believe that it's impossible to understand. And the way that it's explained is made more complicated than I think is actually necessary. And that anybody listening to this can understand the thing that's getting in your way is this idea of I'm not a numbers person. I'm bad at money. It's going to be too hard for me to understand. I was a literature major and I love storytelling. I love psychology. And part of why I loved reading was because I loved understanding the psychology of characters and really intuiting, like in learning about how they overcame challenges. And so one of the things I'll say is that women on average are better investors. And there's factual data to show this, that over time, women are better long-term investors than men because men tend to be more impulsive. They might get short-term profit faster, but long-term because women, we do take our time to consider options. We do do our research. We're detail-oriented. We see the big picture. And then when we make a decision, we commit. And that is, you know, I, cause I don't want to be sitting in front of the trading desk, like monitoring the day in, day out. I'm like, I have a 
I have an empire to build. I don't, I don't want to spend time tracking minuscule movements in the market. And angel investing, investing in startups is really a long-term investment. And so the anecdote that we had been talking about earlier is I was talking about the difference between investment bankers and venture capitalists. By the way, an angel investor is a individual who invests in startups with their personal capital. A venture capitalist is a fund that invests in startups. And as the fund manager, you, you bring money, you take money from other investors to put it in your fund and you invest on behalf of those investors. And so as a angel investor slash venture capitalist, so comparing that to an investment banker. So investment bankers are all like, let's create these very intricate financial models, profit and loss. Let's analyze their CAGR. Let's look at like their long-term financial projections, five-year, 10-year, one-year, whatever. And they have like dozens and dozens of Excel sheets. And then finally they analyze all of it and they make a decision. Venture capitalists sometimes as an angel investor, when you're investing in startups, you're like, I like this founder. I like the mission. I like the idea. Yeah, here, let, here, here you go. Here's $50,000. And a lot of times the venture capitalist hits it big. And not because they did more analysis, not because they did more, they looked into the numbers, they did all the math. And not to say that isn't important, especially in later stages, but Later stages of the company is not what startup investing is. Startup investing is investing at the earliest stages of a company's growth, ideation, and traction. And if you are a woman who buys products, lives in this world, has experiences, has problems that you see need solutions, you are already a great investor because I guarantee you, you have seen that there's a problem with lack of sustainability in fashion. You have seen that there are problems in women's healthcare. You've probably experienced that yourself and you know the specific areas that need support. We have all seen that abortion, you know, like we need to support women in choosing their bodies, whatever decision that they want to make. Those are all problems. We've seen the lack of safety when we walk outside at night, that's a problem. Or the cyber attacks women and people of color experience exponentially higher. Those are all problems that we see and experience. So if you encounter a founder who's like attacking that problem and so mission-driven, like you can intuit. If that founder is going to really give their all into a company, if they are really building a product that can solve the, the problem that you see and you're like, that's a big big ass problem. And you decide, you know what, I want to invest in that. You have probably made a very good decision, especially if you can then get your friends to invest. And you're like, yo, this is a really incredible founder and problem that needs to be solved. And then if your friends can get their friends and their friends can get their friends. And so it's, again, it's a network effect. It's a community thing. And this is why investing, if we're going to change the power dynamic, into the hands of women so that it's actually a balanced power dynamic in this world, then we need to start investing. And you, you are a good investor. And there are 
women are building companies at five times the national average and women are building businesses that are solving real problems for the community, for our children, for other women. And they, so it's, it's really up to you. When you look at a company, you're like, the first question is, do I believe in this mission? Do I believe this is a big enough problem that needs to be solved? Do I believe in this team, this founder, the CEO to execute? Do I believe in their roadmap and their vision? Really? Do I believe in the vision of the world that this founder, this leader is telling me about, because if you believe in it, you should invest in that because that is also the thing that, you know, regardless of the ups and downs, because startups do have a lot of ups and downs, you're going to feel proud of that investment and you're going to support that investment. And so when that investment becomes super successful, whether that's a 10x return, a 20x return or a 5x return or 2x return, you're going to be really happy with the return on investment that you get. Yeah. And I love the way that you're talking about using money as a community initiative, because I think a lot of the dissonance I see in my audience or in an audience of entrepreneurs where it's like they do want to start businesses, but they're more service-based businesses. So they don't think about using money in terms of investing, but they have very lofty financial goals. And the truth is you can make mid six figures and like live a wonderful lifestyle. But if you actually want to maximize your return on investment, it is an extremely missed opportunity to not then do something with that capital. And when we talk about like wanting to use our money to change the world, the idea of investing as a community initiative where you actually put your resources behind one balancing the scales at, I should have known you were Libra, <laughs> balancing the scales of like, Let's put more capital in the hands of people who historically have been kept from having capital, but also let's create the businesses that are going to rectify some of the problems that have personally been bothering me. Like if you are bothered by the lack of sustainability in fashion and you're complaining about that and you're like, okay, I'm not going to buy from like Shein or like Amazon or whatever, but you're not actually doing anything except going to thrift stores, like the missed opportunity for really putting your money where your mouth is, is tremendous. And it's also, it makes me like sad because the way that you talk, the reason I was actually attracted to your work is the way that you talk about investing makes it sound like so much fun. And that's not to say that there isn't risk. You could put money into a company that doesn't do well, that you don't get your return on investment. That is part of this. But like if you diversify your assets, like one of them is going to hit. And also having that kind of relationship with money, I think too, is so healing. Because so I know, for example, like when I've launched things in my business, I've had a 100K launch and I've had a 15K launch. And like, if, if you're spending 6K to like build the system to launch the product in the first place, a 15K launch with a 9K return on investment is a much smaller profit margin than like a 90K return on investment. And I also know that like I'm building a system that will continue to pay me off for years to come. And to make a smaller return on investment is part of building that bigger system. And so I feel like will, a willingness to take risks like that with my money, that I see a lot of people coming into this realm being like, I can't even afford to put a thousand dollar course to learn how to invest on my credit card. Mm -hmm. What would you say to those people? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me start with a story first. 
So way back when, when I, I remember I bought my first $2,000 online course when I had zero revenue and I had just quit my job. I didn't know how I was going to make the next, you know, next dollar that was coming in. And I saw this woman and she did this webinar on how to launch your $2,000 digital course. And so she sold it. She was like, here's the system. Here's how you do it. And at the end of it, she's like, and to buy my course, it's $2,000. And then everyone in the comments was like, not everyone, a lot of people in the comments said, I can't afford it. $2,000 too much. I don't have that right now. And she said, if you believe, if you trust yourself that you have the skills to build and launch a course to get one client, just one, this course will already have paid itself back. And I asked myself, do I trust in my own ability to make a decision, find my niche, launch a course? And it was like, do I believe that I actually have this, the, the experience? Do, do I have what it takes to be a good course creator? And I was like, hell yeah, I have so much experience and knowledge that I love to share. I believe I could get one client. So for me, it was a no brainer. Absolutely. But that is less of a, do I have money or do I not have money? It's more of a, am I willing to invest in myself and ask the question, what would it be like if everything went right? And this is the big re the mindset shift that, that changes you from a victim to the heroine, the hero of your own story, which is most people walk around saying, what if it goes wrong? In this case, what if, what if my investments don't work? What if everything fails? What if I never, what if I, what if it never works out? What if I fail? And that's fear, right? That's mistrust in yourself versus one subtle shift that says, well, what if everything goes right? What if, what if I am smart enough? What if I am a great investor? What if I do hit it really big? What if the investment that I make turns into millions of dollars? What if I actually am a very intuitive, very discerning investor? That's really the question you should ask yourself. What if it goes right? You know, are you going to kick yourself? Because instead of your $10,000, your $1,000 becoming a million that your $1,000 just you know, depreciates in your bank account and is now $800. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and so I think in the grand scheme of things, if you truly have an abundance mentality and you're like, okay, I, I want to make an impact. I want to maximize my profit. I want to have financial freedom. I deserve to have that independence, that ease in my life and know that my money is doing good, doing well, and maximizing its value, I want to, then you want to be an investor and not an investor in the stock market. I don't want to be on Robinhood all day, like trading Tesla stock. That sounds like, you know, whatever. I don't want to be trading crypto. I want to invest in things that I believe in that feel good. And that is when you start shifting your energy into abundance. Instead of, I don't have a thousand dollars you should think, how much more could I gain if I just invest in this $1,000? Do I believe in myself that the, the $1,000 is going to come back to me if I put this energy into the world, if I put this energy into an incredible female-led business? The abundance 
mindset says, of course, the, the world is the universe is going to reward me for doing that with my money. And I believe in that. And I am a firm believer that you create your own reality, whether good or bad. And it has to do with whether you believe there's more money that's coming your way or not. I think what you hit on when you're saying this is that it's really costing you money to not invest. And it's also costing you like a sense of peace. And I think people say that in online businesses, like it's costing you more to not invest, but people don't really understand what that means. Like it sounds sort of like a trope or like something people say to try to get you to buy something. But even what you're saying about like your money is depreciating because the inflation rate is higher than the rate of return on investment in your high yields savings account. It's like, yeah, it is costing you money to not invest. It's costing you missed opportunity. It's costing you self-growth. And so I imagine the question of whether you can or cannot afford it is really code for the question of like, do you trust yourself to educate yourself enough to feel good about the decisions that you're making? And I also just want to say to people, it's not like you're playing roulette. It's not like you're like, did I put my coin on the right number? Like you're making an intentional and like thought, well thought out, like embodied choice that is still has, has risk. There's risk inherent in it. There's no denying that, but it's not like a gamble and it's not even like a calculated risk. It's like a strategy and that that's what it takes to build a business too. You're taking a, a calculated risk on a strategy to build something that will hopefully come with a return on investment. And what I always tell people as a business coach is like, it's actually impossible to fail because even if you get like a lower return on investment on a course that you launched, or you have a couple of months where you're not making revenue or something happens in your life and you like can't show up for the work, ultimately you can just come up with another thing to do. Like there are infinite ways to pivot. There are infinite ways to say like, okay, this wasn't maximized for profit. Like, how can I do this better next time? And like, all you're doing is actually collecting data on optimizing your strategy so that you can continue to get better at it. But you have to think about it that way, as opposed to like, oh, I might fail. Oh, it's happened. I have failed. Oh, this has become so overwhelming. Like I'm going to exit. Because then you might as well just stay at a full-time job. And even if you're listening to this and you do have a full-time job, you can still be investing. Yeah. If, if anything, I mean, like if you have a salary coming in every month, then even more reason <laughs> to invest, right? If you've got dollars coming in and like to that point of like the mistake and being hard on yourself, your issue is never the mistake, your issue is what you think the mistake says about you, which is narratives like, I am a failure. I am imperfect. I am stupid. Whatever you say to yourself. So what I want, what I challenge the audience to do is to decouple the mistakes that you've made from your capability as an individual. So maybe even if you're like, I am not really good at finance, I'm not really good at math. It doesn't mean you're not a good investor just because you got a, I don't know, a B minus math class. Like doesn't mean you can't invest. You make one investment. You make one angel investment. You are an angel investor. 
right? And I think that there's also that overcoming the imposter syndrome of being like, I can't be an investor. I am not an investor. I don't have the money to invest. The like we we hear this all the time. It's like the the best time to invest was yesterday. The next best time to invest is today. Well, the, the best time to invest was 20 years ago, but you know, the next <laughs> best time is today. <laughs> yeah. So for people who want to get started, where would you direct them? Uh, so if you're interested in startup investing, I would say first and foremost, pre-order the Bad Bitch Business Bible. It's on Amazon. If you go to badbitchempire.com, you can find it and you can support local bookstores by going to bookshop.com. And secondly, I do have an upcoming free investing masterclass, a Bad Bitch Investing Masterclass that is happening on July 13th on Thursday. 6 p.m. Eastern. So you can find that on badbitchempire.com. If you subscribe to our email list, you'll immediately start getting some information about all of our resources that we have on investing. And then there's some podcast episodes, our favorite podcast episodes that I can direct you to the moment you sign up on our free email list that bring you to all of the cool and badass women that we've interviewed. That's amazing. And we have some rapid fire questions that we do every single episode. The first one of which you've already answered, which is tell us your chart. So I never forget a chart, Virgo rising, Libra sun, Pisces moon. Our second question is, what are you reading right now? Oh, so the book I'm reading is by Bell Hooks. It's called All About Love. And it's a really powerful book that where we talk about even the idea of love has been defined, objectified by the patriarchy of this, this object of desire, right? We've objectified love. You fall into love. You don't have control. It's desire. It's passion. And she said, uh, she redefined love as not a, not a thing that we acquire, that we get, but a, an action that we take on a daily basis. It's a commitment to nurturing one's own and another's spiritual growth. That is her definition of love. And I really love that definition because in that context, love and abuse cannot coexist. Love and manipulation cannot coexist. Love and mistrust cannot coexist. And so we have, as a culture, been brainwashed to believe like, in toxic love, like he's abusive, but he loves you. He's manipulative, but he loves you. He lies to you, but he loves you. He doesn't respect you, but he loves you. And it's like, no, that's, that's not true. Love is nurturing your own and someone else's spiritual growth. So I, I've just really loved thinking outside of the box of a lot of the concepts that we take for granted, or we just assume as a given. Yeah. I love that one. I have it behind me. And I love the beauty with which you are getting so much out of it and you can like feel feel it so it's really nice I haven't revisited it in a while what's your current pump up song oh okay I have a few I have a bad bitch energy playlist on Spotify but my most played song recently Spotify just showed me it where is my okay well the last song I listened to was unstoppable by Sia but the Bad Bitch Energy playlist. It's a vibe. It's a whole vibe. I, I also love Whole Lot of Money by Bia and Nicki Minaj. I also really like the song Players by, I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name correct, Koi LeRae. She's like, girls, you know, bitches all around the world because girls are players too. I love that. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Final question. What's your why? Why do you do what you do? I do what I do because I just, I feel like I was put on this earth to do it. It lifts me up to see other women shine. It makes me be the best and biggest version of myself. I think when I, when I talk about this mission, when I step into my own bad bitch energy, I, I feel it in my bones and I can see a world that could be so much kinder, so much more compassionate, so much more balanced. If women were in charge, if women ran the world <laughs> and I just, I would love to see that happen in our lifetimes. Mm, beautiful. And we'll put it in the show notes, but if people want to stay in touch, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram at Lisa Carmen Wang, lisacarmenwang.com, and then badbitchempire.com, where you'll find the Bad Bitch Empire podcast, the book, and investing masterclass resources. Go check it out, witches, and we will see you next week. Thank you so much for being here, Lisa. Bye.